You guys continue in prayer with me. Holy Spirit, we need you. Um, We just recognize that, God, you're doing something big on the earth and that we all are longing to be a part of a bigger story. I pray that, Lord, you would uh, convict us of um, just the times that we're satisfied with our little stories, and yet you're always inviting us to a bigger one. As the Holy Spirit, invite us again to the bigger story of what you're doing. It's a bigger story that um, John and Bloom are, are saying yes to in incredible ways, and uh, you're inviting each one of us into it, so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Missions die and fail, and organizations fail because of lack of one of two things. They either lack vision or they lack values around which to support that vision. Missions fail and organizations die because they lack either a vision that's worth dying for, actually, or they lack the values around to make that vision come to pass. <clears throat> January 28th, 1986. Some of you are not even fetuses, but I was a seventh grader. And in my seventh grade English classroom, the cart got wheeled in. I don't know if you remember the carts. I think now we all have flat screen TVs on the smart boards in the classrooms. We had the ubiquitous <laughs> cart and the cart with all the little warnings on it because it was always way too top-heavy because there's a giant TV on a cart and kids die every year from a TV falling on them. <laughs> but <clears throat> the cart got wheeled in and we were subject to the images on the screen of the space shuttle Challenger 73 seconds into its launch just exploding. And just as many of us are used to the images of 9-11, remember when they got played over and over again? So that day... In 86, over and over again, we saw what happened at T plus 73, right? 73 seconds into the launch. Boom. Exploded. It's sad. Yeah, when you see the, uh, actually one of those, they call it one of the ballistic arcs. You see the the two things going off are are the rocket boosters. They kept going. But one of those things that's falling to the ground there is actually the capsule with the seven crew members in it. That capsule stayed intact And as they found the evidence, as they found the remains, it is highly likely that several of them are conscious for that two-minute free fall into the water. And it's the impact on the water that finally took the lives of all those astronauts. So what was wrong with NASA that day? Did NASA lack a large enough vision? I don't think so. The vision behind the shuttle program was pretty powerful. They said, hey, we want to create a winged space vehicle, it's going to be returnable and reusable. And that was new. Because up to that time, spacecraft would return to Earth and they'd be done. They said, hey, we want to create something that will last for 10 years and 100 launches. That's a pretty big vision. We want to bring payloads into space. We want to be able to bring people into space. And at the time, it was, we want to start the United States Space Station. Well, as the shuttle program went on, the world climate changed and that became the International Space Station. That's a big vision. Did NASA lack vision? No, sir. Did they lack values? It's not that they didn't have values. In fact, listen to the values that they have. The values of NASA are these four. Safety, excellence, teamwork, and integrity. Those are the four values that NASA organizes around. But what happened on that day was 
there are some key people that had stopped carrying those values. Some of you know what failed that day. The reason that the Challenger exploded was because an O-ring. So this is in those two white rocket boosters. If you can think of the space shuttle, you've got the big red external tank that the shuttle sits on on the side of these two white rocket boosters. Well, those boosters are several components long. And what seals those components together is this O-ring. And would you believe that since 1977, that is nine years before the launch, the manufacturer of that O-ring, a company called Morton Theocall, they knew that it wasn't 100%, that there was something not quite right with that O-ring. But you know how it goes in an organization. There's pressure to launch. That launch in January of 86 had been, um, had been delayed time and time again. And so when Morton Theocall calls NASA and says, hey, guys, just so you know, it's, it was also very cold. They'd never launched in that cold weather. I think it got into 18, 18 degrees um, overnight, and I think at launch it was maybe 30-something degrees. And Morton Theocall, uh, they called NASA and said, hey, just so you know, we have no data under 40 degrees. We're not really sure what's going to happen. And, and even in those nine years before the launch, they had called it criticality one, meaning this issue with the O-rings is an issue which should not allow this thing to launch. And yet the pressure to launch at that time, man, I'm telling you, the excellence, the teamwork, because what happened was they, some other people voiced the concern. We have this concern about the O-ring, but it didn't make it up the chain of command because of the, um, the desire to launch just being over, the overriding thing. And, of course, the integrity just went to pieces. Many of you here who are engineers, you might have studied this case because this is kind of the engineering ethics case that gets studied. My point is this. The values were in place, but on that day, not everyone was carrying the values. When the employees of Morton Theocall were watching this launch and they saw it explode, they knew immediately what had happened. They knew it was their piece that had failed. The values were in place, but not everyone was carrying them. At the harbor, we've got a big vision. I want to share you a little bit with you about that vision, okay? If you would like to turn with me to Isaiah 42, you see it on the banners. I'm going to be here briefly, and then we're going to move on to the values piece. The harbor doesn't lack a large vision, much like NASA. And here's the big vision. Let the Spirit speak to you as I share this with you. In the fall of 07, we got together and said, Lord, what do you want our church to be? And we felt like very clearly during a time of prayer and fasting that he spoke to us, Isaiah 42. And this is what it says. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Even in that first verse, we got some DNA. What's God calling us to be? He's calling us to be a people who, like Jesus, know that we are delighted in. One of my missions as the pastor is to make sure that you know who you are, and whose you are. This church is to be a church that's totally solid in the knowledge of who we are in Christ. We need a fresh revelation of how much God loves us, how he delights in us, how he wants to be our friends, and he wants to walk with us in intimacy. I'm just kind of getting it off my chest here, what I feel like God's the rich, the treasure that he speaks when I read this. And God wants to put his Holy Spirit on us. We're to be a people marked by the Spirit, and our job is to bring justice to the nations. We send out people like the Luxes, and nations, by the way, in Hebrew just means peoples. So your people may be the down and out in Lynn. Your people may be those guys around you in your engineering firm. Your people may be in Northwest Africa. But God's going to send you to peoples, and we want to get you there. It says, he will not shout or cry out. 
or raise his voice in the streets. We are called at the harbor to walk in humility. I'll never forget a service a year, a year and a half ago, and um, just an older couple that has walked for years and years with the Lord. They're from the area, just kind of checking things out. And as, as he left the door, the husband of the couple said, you know what? You know what's going to mark your church? This guy, real prophetic guy, he said, your church, how you're going to get authority is by your humility. It's your humility that will give you your authority. And I just thought, praise the Lord. So I got this verse in the back of my head going, yes, we're to be a people who walk in humility, you know? Gordon College just had a college fair this Thursday where the different churches kind of see who can sugar high the campus more with more uh, candy. But I remember I saw one of, a friend of mine, he's a pastor, and I just went up to him and I said, and he was kind of talking, he had a group of students with him, and I just said, you guys, you want to follow Jesus like this man follows Jesus. And I could say it with a clean heart because, man, we're just called to humility. We're not trying to grab people, right? We're trying to bless. And I can say to this pastor, amen, walk, guys, walk with this guy. So he walks with Jesus because it's so true. I'm so humble. Okay, sorry. <laughs> just seeing how God, we're here. Anyone got a shout out here? We got people who shout back? Come on. I sent an article to the staff this week about shouting out to the pastor. Does anyone have an amen? Okay. Do we have a ho back here? Ho? There we go. Do I have a... Thank you. Just let me know you're here. Thank you. All right. Where were we? Okay, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring justice. Ooh, this is good. And we kind of encapsulate it right here. Haven for the broken. Isn't Jesus good? I don't care how bruised you are. He's not going to break you. I don't care how many times you failed. He's not going to snuff you out. This is the Jesus we serve. And maybe I think for some of you today, yes, amen. I think for some of you today, this is the take home. The take home is God is compassionate. He loves you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be an intimate friend of yours. That's the take home for some of you today. This is a haven for the broken. You and your brokenness and your mess guess what? God loves you and he's for you. He accepts you. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise him. Amen. Is there a shout out there? Come on. There we go. And what does he say? He says, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his law. The islands, faraway lands, will put their hope. We'd like to encapsulate that piece over here. We're broken. God fixes us. And then guess what? We get launched to peoples. We get launched to whoever God's put on your heart. God wants to send you. We want to get behind you. But then the question today, the reason we brought up the NASA example, is how do we all get from here to there? How do we get encouraged, healed, delivered? And then how do we get sent out to God's purposes for our lives? And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we need to get around, passionate around some values. We've got to cultivate a passion for some values. Now, in August of 2007, five years ago, there was a launch team, this team that God had put together uh, to launch the harbor, and um, we sat down, and we were retreating in prayer, and we said, okay, God, what do you want to do? What should church look like? What, what, are the, what are the important things about church? And we brainstormed, and we filled two whiteboards with just all sorts of ideas and dreams and wonderful things. And then we prayed, and we worked it through, and we got them down to what we are calling kind of our, our values, and that is we got it down to nine irreducible values. We couldn't get any more discreet than these nine things. Now, nine 
you know, sometimes you get discouraged. I don't know if it's the holiest number. I'm like, God, is there one more? Can we make it 10? Or do we, did, do we got two extra? Should we go down to seven? But um, lately, I've been encouraging myself that we have a trinity of trinities of values, okay? So, yes. Thank you, Lord. Woo! All right. And we want to just order our lives around these, okay? So to realize the vision, for us to realize what we see in Isaiah 42, 1 to 4, we all have to run after these values. We all have to own the values, right? If everyone at NASA had owned the values, challenge would have been launched. Same thing at the harbor. Everyone's got to own the values, so we achieve this thing together. Now, before I go just to sharing, what are those values? What do we come to? We need to stop and pause and say, what does God think about this? You know, I'm just not into running a nice organization. What does the Word of God have to say about vision, values, and church? And to answer that question, I just want to bring you back to a very dark time in Israel's history. About 2,600 years ago, 600 B.C., Israel is in a tough spot. The king is actually just a puppet of Egypt. In essence, Israel belongs to Egypt and is just a vassal of Egypt. That's what's west of them. East of them, they've got the threat of the Babylonians, who their army is like unstoppable, and Israel knows, hey, the writing's on the wall that Babylonians are coming. We could get eaten up by them. And internally, what's going on in Israel is that it's just like, think of any underdeveloped country right now in anywhere, Africa, Asia, Europe, I don't know, well, Eastern Europe maybe, in that law and order is non-existent. There's no justice. It's total chaos. There's always intrigue at the top. It's a mess. Things aren't getting done in the country. And it's in that time in Israel's history that God raises up a prophet. He's probably one of the only prophets who actually speaks more like a priest. You know, most prophets, they speak from God to the people, right? Thus saith the Lord, you need to change. But this prophet, he said, God, where are you? He was doing people to God like a priest does. And in this chaos and the threat of, you know, this craziness, you just got to imagine, like imagine President Obama, imagine if he was a Canadian and we were just vassals of Canada. And then imagine if Iran was about to invade us, okay? That's the situation here, right? Anyways, maybe it's, maybe it's not that far off. I don't know. So, and this prophet says, God, where are you? And let's hear what the Lord's answer is. And to find that, we want to turn to Habakkuk, okay? Habakkuk is the fifth to last book of the Old Testament. And you can talk to your neighbor right now and tell them whether you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk. I'm a Habakkuk guy. You just have to deal with it. Habakkuk. Turn there, chapter 2. This is God's answer to Habakkuk who says, Where in the heck are you, God? Things are so messy. And God says this. He says, Write the vision. The vision I'm about to give it to you, write it down. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. We want to write it down, make it plain, so we can run. And that's exactly what we're up to this fall. We feel like God's given us a vision. We're going to write it down. We're going to rehearse it. We got it on banners. We're putting it on your bulletin. We're getting it in us so we all can run with what God has for us. Because to realize the vision, we all must run after the values. 
to realize this vision together, we all have to run after the values. Now, the wonderful thing about after this, God, through Habakkuk, starts to say a few other things about what it looks like to run after the vision and the values. And he actually says to Habakkuk something unbelievable. And to use our little illustration, he says, hey, you know what, guys? Iran is coming to invade, just so you know. That's the equivalent of what he's saying. Babylon's coming. So maybe in our little example, he says, guess what? Iran is coming to invade, but that's exactly what you need. What's going to deal with all the internal strife, what's going to deal with all the chaos and all the lack of justice in, in this place is a full-scale invasion by Iran, believe it or not. Crazy, right? Of course, it's Babylon. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Please don't. Anyways, I'm not prophesying here. I, I, hope, I hope not. <clears throat> he says that's what's going to set you guys straight, believe it or not. Habakkuk, believe it. And then as we get into this beautiful story, it's, it's highly likely that Habakkuk was a Levite priest. He's so good at his poetry. He's anointed by God. We get these little tidbits, other things that will help us about in this idea of having the vision written down plainly so we can run after it. First thing happens a few verses later. Look at what God says. He says, um, he says this, verse 4, he says, See, he has puffed up. He's talking about all the people in Israel who are unjust, all the wicked leaders. He says, he's puffed up. His desire is not upright. He says this, but the righteous will live by his faith. Okay, so a part of our writing down the vision, getting after the values, is we walk by faith. It's going to take faith to execute these things. By faith, Morton Theocall should have said, hey, I know this O-ring thing has worked on the past four launches, but it's really not going to work. We need to stop this launch. By faith, you and I are going to line ourselves behind some values. So they may not be always exciting or comfortable, but by faith, we're going to walk it through. And the great thing about it, we get some more clues from Habakkuk about what happens when we start walking behind a vision and some values by faith. Look what he says here. In 2.14, chapter 2, verse 14, we get a beautiful thing of hope here. We looked at the scripture last week. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, when you start to walk by faith, aligning your life around certain values, you start to get a vision of what can be, right? And we believe by faith that this earth will become, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ. The only thing between that and now is time and our obedience. It will happen. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to be fully given to it? Will you surrender yourself to all that God's calling you to be and do? That is the question today. And God's inviting you in. Faith produces great hope. When we walk these values by faith, other things happen too. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk utters a most incredible, wonderful prayer. It's a prayer that I've had for New England. It goes like this. It says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And with me, all the over 40 crowd is hearing the vineyard song from the 90s that that this verse is based on. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. In wrath, remember mercy. You can rent me. I'll sing at your wedding. He prays this prayer. And it's an awesome prayer. Because he's about to rehearse. In chapter 3, he's going to rehearse what God did in delivering the people from Egypt, the whole exodus. And he remembers the deeds of God. Like I, you know, it's about to be leaf 
peeping season here in New England. Maybe you go to Vermont. You'll go to New Hampshire. You'll go to Maine. And um, you'll see, as I do, the white steeples in every New England town. Why are there white steeples in every New England town? Because at a time, there was a church planting movement that came out of the Great Awakening that kept up with the population growth in this region. And so I say, God, I remember your deeds. I know you visited New England before. God, in your wrath, please remember mercy. And that's what I'm living for. I've got a call in my life, and that call is to super-saturate New England with church plant pastors. That's my job. I don't care whether I'm pastor of the harbor or not. I've got a job from God, and my mission is to super-saturate New England with church plant pastors. Who's going to go? <laughs> okay. I'm waiting for a few people to actually raise their hands. Praise the Lord. Okay. By faith. This is by faith. So by faith, we're going to see this thing happen, right? Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. When you walk by faith, aligning your life around some vision and values, great prayers come out. You pray big. Anyone want to pray big? Amen. We had a few disciples praying big this last week when we prayed and fasted. Faith is another great thing. As As we kind of traverse through Habakkuk, the very end of Habakkuk, an incredible resolve comes out. When you walk by faith, and you're aligning your life behind certain vision and values, you have incredible resolve. Listen to this. This is chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, bummer. Though the crop fails, the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, double bummer, yeah. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yeah, mega bummer. Listen to this resolve. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. Or like King James says, he gives me hinds feet in high places. Title of a great devotional book. Doesn't that remind you of the guys, uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What did they say? As, As Nebuchadnezzar is about to throw them in the fiery furnace, they said this. They said, you know what? We're not going to bow down to your God because God's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. When we walk by faith around certain vision and values, we get a resolve in our hearts that is unshakable. And boy, does the world need the church to stand up now with an unshakable faith in the Lord, with an unshakable resolve to say, Lord, we're for you no matter what comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this man, Habakkuk, he's passionately running after the vision and the values, values that God's given him. The Luxes, right? They got a hold of this. They came in to college, came out the chute. God sent them to a people. They're living their lives according to something bigger than themselves, and it's awesome. Dela. Dela feels called. Where's Dela? She around here. There she is. Dela, guess what? She got a hold of this justice piece. You know what? It's unjust that in Southern Asia... There are women who are in a constant cycle of being sold into sex trafficking. And Dela says, send me to my people. Those are my people. I'm going to go. She's got the vision. She's been aligning her life around certain values for the last several years and saying, okay, I'm ready to go. And her vision isn't just, hey, let me start a nice nonprofit so I can help some people. It's, hey, the church is what can save the world. So I'm going to rescue people. God, through me, is going to rescue people from the sex trafficking thing, and we're going to believe God for a church to be birthed in that southern Asian nation 
so that local people can own the thing, local people can pastor, and the local church can do a better job than us at reaching those who are sex traffickers and restore and see healing brought to those women who are in awful bondage. Beth Price, where's Beth? Beth Price is leading our training school. She's got a vision. You know, she'd rather be in the nation. She'd rather be with Dayland, Cambodia. Oops, sorry. She'd rather be with Alexis in Northwest Africa. But you know what? She's got a vision here. And the vision is, I've got to equip other people to go. Again, whether they're people, as the guys in the cubicle next to them, or whether their people are South America, I'm going to equip others to go. She leads our training school. Amen. So what I want to say is, you know, values is a word that's just been so hijacked, especially in the political uh, ramp-up that we're up to for this election. We're actually going to start to call them passions, okay? Here at the harbor, we're going to write out plainly. We're going to make it clear so you can run what our nine passions are that we have, that we carry um, as we seek to follow the Lord. And just like the folks at NASA, or unlike the folks at NASA who forgot to make safety their passion, they actually made... This is a direct quote. They made success at all costs, even the cost of their integrity and the loss of seven astronauts' lives. That was their passion. We're saying, Lord, we won't have it that way. We're all going to get on board with the nine passions of the harbor. Amen? Because we believe they're from God. All right. Can I tell you what they are? You've been dying to hear it, right? Okay. And actually, I got, I got, a, uh, I got a challenge I'm going to put out there, right? And um, that is if... If any one of you, between now, we'll say, and Saturday sundown, what is that, the 8th? If I run into any one of you and you're able to give me the nine passions, I'll purchase the food or the drink of your choice. How's that? And actually, Pastor John's going to do the same thing, right, John? There you go. Okay? So you learn these. You get them in. You were making it plain. John's going to buy your coffee. He's going to buy your, uh, your uh, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, Okay? Okay. Church planting, church planting. We do not want to become a cesspool of resources. We want to become a river that is always giving away our best people, our best resources, so that this thing can happen, right? Whether it's Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or whether it is Phnom Penh, we are giving it away because God blesses that. It's just going to be fun as it starts to happen. And we believe we're about a year to two years from planting our first church in New England. Is anyone here? Yes. Okay. Right? Church planting. I'm going to multiply this thing. Second thing, community. John mentioned relationship. If we can't learn how to get along, then who's going to want to walk with us? You know what I'm saying? Community. Everything in the kingdom happens through relationships. We want to walk in community. Third thing, devotion. We are passionate about one man. We're in love with a man. I'm in love with a man. His name is Jesus, okay? And we want to cultivate that devotion to Jesus Christ. Next thing, and maybe this is where we kind of fudge and actually have 10. Maybe I can feel better about it. But we put it together, discipleship and evangelism. That's one thing. Discipleship and evangelism. Because can I just, I mean, think about your walk with the Lord. Whose walk is so linear that like, I don't know, like this happened and this happened, just like all the discipleship books tell you it should, you know? It's hard for us to extricate discipleship from evangelism, so we put it together. And honestly, if we're not sharing the gospel, then who are we discipling? If we're just discipling people, we can't forget to share the gospel with new folks, right? We want to cultivate that. Risk-taking, risk-taking. This is our nod to the Holy Spirit, you know? We as North American believers, college degrees, educated, intelligent, 
We have a hard time sometimes. Compared with the rest of the world, we've got a hard time with kind of some of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're saying, you know what we need to learn? We need risk-taking with the Holy Ghost. It's also our way of saying, um, if you'll be transparent with people, if you'll take the risk of being transparent with people, it'll change your life and God's good. Scripture. Everything we do, Word of God. It's the Word that judges us. We don't judge the Word of God. We, everything we do is informed by the Word of God, and we are committed to knowing it, studying it, and not letting it be a source of division, but of unity with other folks. I pray monthly with about 15 other pastors from the North Shore. We've got some theological differences, but we're committed to the supremacy of Scripture in our lives. Service. We want to be ones who recognize the worth of those who society calls worthless. And man, this is one we really got to beef up here. At the harbor, we're not too good at this yet. We're learning. And faith groups more and more are getting sent out and learning how to do service and power, and Lord, teach us how. Simplicity. We want to honor the Lord and Sabbath rest. In the insane uh, complexity of life these days, we want to say we want to have schedules that permit Sabbath rest, and we want to be people who are free of possessions in such a way that life is simple for us. Amen? And that is totally countercultural, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, okay? All you guys on your iPads, praise the Lord. Sorry. <laughs> iPads, iPads are simple. They do simplify. Actually, I mean, why has Apple had so much success? Because they simplify. Yeah, amen. Amen. And then finally, worship. Worship. Why are we here? Why are we doing any of this? Because we want the whole world to be ones who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to get God the worship he deserves, and we love worshiping him. So, you memorize it. We'll do it, right? Church planting, community, devotion, discipleship and evangelism, risk-taking, scripture, service, simplicity, worship. All right. That's a lot of people to buy lunch for. Hold on. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't have said it. Amen. Hey, if you and I will run together after these values, after these passions by faith, we will see Habakkuk 2.14 come, right? The, glory of the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill this earth like the waters cover the seas. It's just going to happen. Do you want to be a part of it? That's my question. You guys stand. And Jen and the worship team, you guys come on up.